Good morning, church family. We doing good? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. We doing good this morning? Hi, Sarah Bear. What's up, girl? I like the blue blazer. It looks good. Um, hey, welcome to church. Welcome to our family. Uh, one of the things that our church, I love about our church, is we don't want you to come to an event. We want you to be a part of a family. And we don't want you just coming and hide in rows. We want you to get in circles and, and get to know some people. Because how many know, this life is hard enough. You shouldn't be doing it by yourself. Oh, I'm already preaching. This is my announcements right now. Life is hard enough. You shouldn't do it by yourself. And, um, and I'm just telling you, it's so much better to be involved and get connected. We'd love to see some of you guys in Next Steps. That's our, our vehicle to kind of get you involved in our church. And we want you to have relationships and responsibilities. How many know if you're part of a family, you're supposed to take out the trash every, so, every once in a while? That's a family responsibility. But also, we want you to have best friends in our church. And so we want to offer that to you guys. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Devin Fry. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm married to a beautiful Brasileira. Her name is Natalia Fry. I love my wife. She's the greatest thing on earth. You don't need to go to Brazil because the best thing in Brazil is in my household. Come on. Holla at you. Ai, meu Deus do céu. Glória a Deus. Anyways, I have two baby boys. I have Zion and Ezra. Zion just turned five this past week. It's absolutely crazy how fast life goes by. Uh, Zion, when he grows up, wants to be a firefighter. And uh, Ezra, when he grows up, wants to be an arsonist. And that's my household. Yep, so that's, uh, that's what God's blessed me with. Has God blessed you? Because he certainly blessed me. Come on, we're going to have a great day in the house today. How many believe that? Okay, four people. Praise God. Ashlyn, you need to raise your faith level. Uh, we're going to go into the word today. I believe that church should not be endured. It should be enjoyed. And uh, I firmly believe that God's going to speak to you today. I believe he's going to use my words and my lips to be able to speak to your heart. And uh, I'm going to share my heart today. And uh, I believe that we're just going to have an incredible day in the house. Why don't we go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. Um, and we're going to go right there. You guys ready? Are uh, you guys going to talk back today or no? Okay, we got Pentecostals in the room or not? Yeah, those are my Pentecostals. That's my people right there. Uh, so just forewarning for those that are like newer to the church, uh, you're going to see me get passionate. I'm going to yell. I'm not mad at you. I'm just passionate about God. I love him. And uh, you're going to see this vein pop out a lot. Spit might fly in the front row. If it hits you, I'm very sorry about that. But don't worry, you'll probably get healed or something like that. Uh, we pray that that happens and we're going to have a good time. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. If you're there, say I'm there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to throw it up on the screen. And this is what the scripture says. You guys have it up there? This is what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, my custom is if you would stand to your feet before we read the word. It's a symbol that this is a holy moment. I don't believe these moments should be rushed at all. This is not a hurried moment. It's a holy moment. And uh, my son, when he did jujitsu for a while, uh, before he would enter the jujitsu space, the, the, the um, place where he would roll with other kids, Right before, the teacher would always instruct him and say, bow. Why? Oof, exactly. He would bow. Uh, because it was a symbol that, hey, you're coming from wherever you're coming from, but now this is a place of honor. That's why I have people stand before the reading of the word, because these words could literally transform the trajectory of your entire life. How many believe that? could transform your whole life. And I believe that this word can do exactly that. This is what the Bible says. Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked them for letters 
to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, this is what people called in, back in the New Testament days of Christianity, anyone who belonged to the way, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, anybody who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners, the Bible says, prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus, somebody say Damascus. Damascus. On his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul's response, who are you, Lord? So he literally says there, Lord. So he recognized he's speaking to a deity. He just didn't know who it was. And that deity revealed himself as, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He replied, now get up, go into the city, you'll be told what you must do. Pause for a second in this story. I want you to notice this. Is that Saul's intent of going to Damascus was to arrest Christians, yet God arrested Saul. God has a divine appointment with you today. And I don't, I don't know what you came in here with or what intent you came in here with, but I'm telling you, God has a divine appointment and he wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. And I pray that we have a Damascus-like experience. Keep going. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. I want you to notice this. Is, is Saul literally got blinded, but his physical... Uh, his physical condition re really revealed his spiritual condition, that he was spiritually blind. And sometimes God has to close your eyes so he can give you vision. Some of you guys need to see. What is sight? Sight is what you see with your eyes open. Vision is what you see when your eyes are closed. And God wants to give you some vision today. He wants to give you a vision for your life. So he opened his eyes. He could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple. His name was Ananias. Somebody say Ananias. And the Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord. So he's spiritually mature. He answered, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he will be praying there. And Saul got this vision. He's seen a man named Ananias to come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. To restore his sight. I want to marry this text today uh, for the uh, topic of this teaching and go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 23 through 24. This is what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city, speaking to Paul now. So we're talking about the same person, but he has two different names. This is really before Jesus, and this is after Jesus. After the Damascus experience that he has, it was Saul originally, and he turned to Paul. We're going to talk about that in a moment. So Paul reveals that the Spirit of God is speaking to him, testifies in every city that chains and tribulations await me, but he says, none of these things move me. And this is one of the most powerful verses I have read in my Christian experience. Nor do I count my life dear to myself that I may finish my race. Somebody say my race. Come on, say my race. My race with joy, the Bible says. Why? Because the Christian life does have suffering with it. But listen to me, you can have joy in it. Suffering is a part of life, but misery doesn't have to be. So that you may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, the ministry of testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. I love that. Paul literally says that I may finish my race because how many know I got this revelation and it changed and transformed my life. Is that how, how horrible would it be if you were successful in something that God never called you to? Did you hear what I just said? How terrible would it be if you were prospering in something that God has never called you to? 
Paul says, I'm finishing my race. Come on, God doesn't want you to make a difference. He wants you to make your difference. And I've come to remind some and inform others that you are not here by accident. You are here on assignment. God has a purpose for your life. And I want you to walk into that. So here's my prayer and here's my hope is that we would have a Damascus-like experience today where God would reveal his person, he would reveal his plans, and he would show you your purpose. And you would get clear on your purpose and become obsessed with it. That's my prayer today. We see this in a Damascus road is Saul has an encounter with God. And so I want to teach from this title today using Damascus as a play on words is De-mask us. De-mask us. Come on, that's a good title. You know how long it took me to come up with that? Ain't nobody responding. Unbelievable. It took me at least three minutes. It was crazy. Demask us. Father, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for these moments that we share together. Help us today to see Jesus, to hear from heaven, and I ask for the power of God. I cannot do this by myself. So, Holy Spirit, would you use my words, my lips, and my heart to touch their heart? Put me on like a glove. Show them what you showed me and do what you do. So throw your weight around, throw your glory around, reveal to us Jesus and reveal to us our purpose and help us today to have a Damascus-like experience. We love you, Jesus, in your precious son's name that we pray. And come on, everybody said, come on, everybody said, amen and amen. High five, 14 people around you. Give them a big old hug and a big old kiss or whatever you can. That's appropriate. (laughs) Sergio, thank you so much, brother. Don't go too far. I need you. Family, let me, uh, let me just tell you a quick little story. So I am taking a bunch of my leaders to a leader's advance. We believe that Christians don't retreat. We always advance. And so I'm taking a bunch of my leaders to an advance. And on the way to this leader's advance, we, of course, need to stop and get some rest for our souls. So we go to the inner sanctuary of God, the holy tabernacle. We go to Chick-fil-A. Praise God. Walk into Chick-fil-A. I walk up to the front. I'm with one of my leaders. His name is Sean Duddy. He serves in security in our church. Shout out to my boy, the redheaded assassin. What's up? Nobody calls him that. I don't know why I just said that. So we walk up to the front uh, register, and I say, he, my man goes, uh, how can I serve you today? I said, yeah, I'd like a number two, no pickles. Can I get a large fry and a lemonade? I'm a frequent visitor at Chick-fil-A, okay? Stop judging me, people. You need to go there. Um, so I walk up there, and uh, I get my order. He says, okay, thank you so much, sir. It's my pleasure to serve you. And I go, and I look at his name tag, and I notice that his name tag is Hezekiah. So I go, bro, this is kind of crazy. I turn to Duddy. I look at this guy. I go, this is kind of crazy, but, you know, I'm a pastor, and uh, Hezekiah is a king in the Bible. And I turn to Hezekiah. I go, bro, did you know that? And this guy's like, oh, cool. And I'm like, uh, this was supposed to go differently in my head. I thought this was going to be funny or cool. I'm like, you're a king, bro. He's like, oh, cool, man. That's great. This guy's clearly just wanted to get out of work. He's, he's waiting for his shift to end. And I turn to Duddy. I go, bro, next thing you know, I said this out loud, next thing you know, Moses works here. And he goes, oh, you know Moses? And I said, <laughs> I said, I said, what? He goes, yeah, Moses. He's working the next register. I said, I said, I said, what? And he calls Moses. He goes, Moses, come here. He goes, this guy knows you. And this guy comes up to me. He goes, I don't know who this guy is. And I go, I don't know who you are. This is a Bible joke, and this is not working out very well. I go, I'm a pastor. I told him he's Hezekiah. And I go, yeah, Moses works here too. And he's like, oh, it's Moses. And, and I go, what in the world, what in the biblical landscape is going on in this Chick-fil-A? And I go, next thing you know, turn to Duddy one more time. I promise you this is a real story. I turn to Duddy one more time. I go, bro, next thing you know, Jesus himself works here. He goes, oh, Jesus, he works in the back. 
I go, bro, Jesus of Nazareth works here? He goes, no, it's Jesus from Nashua. He lives in New Hampshire. He's not that far from here. I go, what in the world? That's a real story, I promise you. How many know? I, I was reminded of this story. I was reflecting on it. How many would love it if Jesus that clearly revealed himself in your life? Have we ever been, yeah, we're talking about Jesus, not Jesus, but um, how many would love it if in seasons of our life, can we be honest for a second in church? How many know that there are some seasons in life where you're just like, hey, is God proud of me? Did I make the right decision? Am I in the middle of God's will? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it would just be awesome if Jesus himself clearly revealed, hey, you're doing the right thing. You're going the right way. You made the right decision. You are in the middle of the will of God. Am I talking to anybody in this church today? I would love it like that, but here's what you need to understand about the character and the nature of our God, is that God is the author of clarity, the enemy is the author of confusion. It's one thing we know about God so clearly, and we learn it from the text that we read. We understand about God that he wants to, you, for you to be clear on your assignment, to be clear on your purpose. God does not author confusion, the devil does. The devil does. And if my honest opinion and my personal and professional experience as a Christian and as a pastor, I know so many people who are not clear on why they are here on earth. Can I just remind you? Can I inform some of you? You are not here just to go to work, make some money, get some cars, clothes, and cribs. This is not what life is about. God has a purpose for your life. And how many people do we come in contact with that don't know their purpose? Listen to me. You can write this down in your notes if you want. Your purpose is to solve problems. But the people that don't know their purpose, they don't solve problems. They cause problems. Uh-oh, we already teach it right now. The people that don't know their purpose, they don't solve problems. They actually cause problems. And we learn this about Saul and his story. Now, I highlighted this before. We're talking about the same person, but he has two different names. You have Saul, who eventually turns into Paul. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But Jesus literally reveals himself to Saul on the road to Damascus. Somebody say Damascus. Damascus in this text really represents a place. Here's what I wrote down in my notes. Damascus represents a place where God reveals his person. He reveals his plans, and he also reveals your purpose. This is Damascus, and this has been my prayer for this entire week, is that you would have a Damascus-like experience, that you get to know who Jesus is, not who other people say he is, but for who he actually is, the God of the Bible. There is a lot of people that say, oh, I know all this stuff about Jesus, and he's this or he's that. Can I just tell you, we tell people a lot. Fall in love with the Bible because you will understand who Jesus really is, not who people say he is. So he reveals his person, but he also reveals his plans. He literally says to Saul, I need you to go to this place and meet this person because God wants to give you Christ, and he also wants to give you a companion. And this is met on the Damascus road. This is met in this Damascus experience where he gives a person, and his name is Ananias. Now, Ananias is somebody that God raises up to take you to the next level. There is an Ananias, watch this everybody, there is an Ananias in this room for your life. You cannot become your best self by yourself. God wants to raise up a person to take you to the next level, to, to remove the scales from your eyes. What happens? Saul was blinded. He was really blind before. He is living 30 years, 40 years, 50 years of his life going a direction, and God reveals himself through the person of Jesus. He reveals himself and essentially says this, Saul, you are going the wrong way. 
No wonder Saul loses his sight. No wonder he can't eat or he can't drink. Why? Because how many know if you're living 30 to 40 or 50 years of your life going in a direction only to find out that I have wasted these 30, 40, or 50 years, how many know that is a humbling experience? But God wants to do this with Saul's life. He is essentially saying, this is not my purpose. This is not my intention for your life. And I want you to go a different road because Jesus will reveal himself to reroute you. God cares so much more about you than Siri does. Here's what I mean by this. Here's what I mean by this. Or Waze. Anybody use the Waze app? How do we know? You make a wrong turn, what happens? Recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. God cares so much more about you than an app does like that. Is if you take the wrong road, let me just tell you, God has a new road that he can get you back onto your purpose again. Can I get an amen from somebody? So this is what he does with Saul. He reveals himself on the Damascus Road, a place where he reveals his person, his plans, and your purpose. And then he gives up and raises up a person named Ananias to lay hands on Saul and remove the scales from his eyes. This is what God wants to do with your life is he wants to give you this word, clarity. Somebody say clarity. 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 Somebody say clarity. clarity. He wants to give you clarity for your life. What is clarity? Clarity is knowing who you are and vice versa, knowing who you are not. That is just as important as knowing I am not this person. Clarity helps you determine what is a good thing and what's a God thing. And honestly, there are so many people who are confused about their purpose, and you cannot convince me that the greatest gift aside from Jesus that God gives humanity is clarity. You need clarity for your life. The ability to determine what you want specifically, who you are going to be, and what you want to have. This is clarity. This is clarity. Now, We're talking about this profile. We're going to do a case study on the man Saul, who eventually turned to Paul. I want you to read this. I want you to hear this, uh, what I wrote down in my notes about Saul, Paul. Here's a case study. One person, two names. Saul was a terrorist. Paul was an evangelist. Same person, different experience. This is after the Damascus experience. Once he receives and reveals who Jesus is, literally, Saul turned to a completely different person. How does a terrorist go to an evangelist? Saul was deceived. Paul was focused. Saul was a murderer. Paul was a minister. Saul was a persecutor. Paul became a preacher. Saul was confused, but Paul was clear. Watch this. Saul wore the mask of religion, but Paul was a man of God. That's why I titled this message, Demask Us, because God wants to remove the mask of religion and introduce you to a you that you've never met yet. Did you hear what I just said? Saul was his identity, but Paul was his destiny. Saul is who he thought he was. Paul is who God said he was. I think there are three types of people in this room. There are some people who are deceived. Somebody say deceived. Where you are going and living your life one way, and it is completely opposite of God's intention for your life. This was Saul. Saul was convinced that he was serving God and loving God, and he was convinced that Jesus and followers of Jesus, people that followed the way, were little cult-like people. And so literally what he did is he said, my mission, my purpose is to stop and thwart that, those people. Meanwhile, Jesus revealed himself to Saul and basically said, hey, you're not hurt, helping me. You're hurting me. You're persecuting me. You're going the exact opposite way. And this man was deceived. But you got a second group of people. You got the people that are distracted. They're distracted by good things and not God things. 
all the husbands, all the boyfriends, you're going to know this and relate with this as soon as I say this. You know when your wife or your girl comes up to you and says, hey, I'm going to Target. I got to get some milk. I got to get some groceries. And I got to get some laundry detergent. You know that they're not going to get those three items. They're going to get 44 more items. And $217.14 later, they come back home and you're broke, but they have a lot of groceries from Target. Why? Because what happens? You are going to a place on an assignment to get multiple things, but then you walk in there like, whoa, that's something I didn't realize I, I needed that. I forgot about that. I needed that. We don't have that right now. And what happens? All the ladies over here are getting convicted right now. You literally go in there, and all of a sudden you come back, and you are all these distractions, and you're spending more than you originally thought you were supposed to. Isn't this a picture of humanity? Where we are on assignment, God has given us a purpose to do a certain thing, yet we get distracted by all these good things. I'm preaching real good right now. Is you get distracted by all these things. Can I remind you, big idea for the whole message. I've said it before. Write this down in your notes. You are not here on accident. You are here on assignment. And honestly, many of you, you don't need a new revelation from a preacher. You need an old reminder that you are here with a purpose, that God has designed your personality to accomplish your purpose. You are not some cosmic coincidence. You are not some random ball of mass to do something foolish or stupid with your life. No, God has purposed you and wired you for work. He has crafted you for a calling. You were made for a mission. You have a purpose on this planet. And this purpose is what you should spend the rest of your life focusing on. And this is why Paul says this about his life. He literally says, I don't care about any of these other things, these trials or these changes that are coming towards me. I must finish my race. Somebody say my race. He was obsessed with his purpose. And unfortunately, so many people are not clear on your purpose. I believe that God's going to give you clarity with your purpose today. Can I get an amen? God's going to give you clarity. But we need to be a People that are not deceived, not distracted, we need to be a people that are focused. Focus. Somebody say focus. Focus is selective attention. It is being intentional about what you're looking at and being just as intentional about what you're not looking at. So many of us get so distracted by all these good things, but are you focused on God things? God things. So Paul states this. He says, the Spirit of God has testified to me that I will face many chains, I will face trials, I will face tests. And he essentially says this, here's my translation of that, is can you be trusted with trouble? Can you be trusted with trouble? God says, I'm leading you into a place, we're going to get into this in a moment, I'm leading you into a place, but it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. So, rest of the message, let's get practical. Four things you must be clear on. Four things you must be clear on. Number one, write this down in your notes. For my note takers, come on, where are my note takers at? Make some noise. I work way too hard on my messages for you to not take notes. Take out your phone, take some notes down. Okay, first thing is this. You need to be clear. We talked about it the whole time. You need to be clear on your purpose. Purpose. What is purpose? Purpose is the reasons for the creation or the existence of a thing. Okay, so you were, you were literally created for reasons, not a reason is that there are some, hear me loud and clear, there are some things that are problems on this earth, and when you leave here, they should leave with you. You are created to solve a problem, because when God sees a problem in the earth, he raises up a person, and he gives that person a purpose, and that person's purpose is to solve the problem. That's what purpose is for. But here's the reality. Many people don't know what our purpose is. We don't know. We're not clear. And we're like, I think I'm doing it. To be honest, this is a conversation I have with my wife. And this, 
Hear, hear the heart of this. I told my wife multiple times, because this is what happens a lot of times with younger people, is they think as soon as I become a father or as soon as I become a mother, well, I found my purpose. That is a reason for your existence, but you have reasons for your existence. So I meet a lot of families. I meet a lot of parents that are like, I'm fulfilled, but there's still something in me that I feel like I'm made for more. That's not to diminish our children. That's just to say God has multiple reasons why you are on this planet. Am I making sense? There are multiple reasons why you are here. And the reason for life is to live a life of purpose. Is you must be so focused on what God has crafted you and created you and wired you to do. Here's what one person said it like. Uh, They said passion is what you like to do. Talent is what you're good at doing. But purpose is what you were born to do. What is your purpose? Well, first of all, we need to understand our ultimate purpose. Write this down in your notes. Our ultimate purpose is this, is that we would know God. What's our ultimate purpose? It is the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, strength. Is that you must know God. You have the ultimate purpose, but then you have a universal purpose as all believers that we go therefore into all the world and make disciples of many nations. That's what we call the great commandment. But then you have a unique purpose, and this is what we call in scripture the cultural mandate. This is found in Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply. Go therefore into the world, fill the earth and subdue it. Take dominion over it. So that's the cultural mandate. So our purpose in life, our ultimate purpose is to know God. Our secondary purpose, the universal purpose, is to make God known. You guys with me today? I'm just going to assume you're just taking some good notes right now. To know God, to make God known. And the third one is how you make him known. It's a specific role in a specific lane. And all of us are like, what is my unique purpose? I want to know it. Yet so many people are not doing their ultimate purpose or universal purpose. And why would God reveal a role if you don't have relationship with the God that can give you that role? Damascus! is he will not give you clarity on a role if you don't have relationship with the God that can give you the clarity. Is I'm telling you, this is a foolish question, is this, what is my purpose? That's a foolish question. Really what you should be asking is, what is my assignment? I'm going to explain this. So purpose is the reasons for the creation or the existence of a thing. An assignment is a divine invitation for your participation in your current season. Put it up. You guys have it? Assignment is an invitation for your participation in your current season. So you shouldn't be asking, what's my purpose? Because that is the accumulation and the amalgamation of all these decisions in life that eventually reach your purpose. You should be asking, what is my current assignment? I I was reading this in a book recently. And this, this little blurb helped me so much. And honestly, as soon as I read it, it was like, It was like 100 pounds of weight just offloaded off me, and it gave me total clarity. I want you to throw that up there, guys. Throw up that little little text. I want you to read this. Some of you guys might want to screenshot this because this is fire. Don't be obsessed with what God is going to do decades from now. Faithfully carry out the roles you're called to in the seasons you are in, and you will accomplish your purpose. Continue to give God a yes. Somebody say yes. Come on, somebody say yes. Continue to give God a yes, and the compilation of those yeses will result in the accomplishing of your purpose. Remember, purpose has pages. You only get one page at a time. Come on, make some noise for that, somebody. Does that help anybody in the room? Purpose has pages. You only get one page at a time. And so instead of asking, what is my purpose, you ask, what is my current assignment? And thriving, 
I've defined it this way. Thriving is doing the best you can in the season you're in with, this, with the resources that you have. God wants you to thrive. He wants you to thrive. But you must be clear on your purpose. And a result of being in the middle of the will of God for your life or a result of finishing your race or being in your lane or being in purpose will result in two things. Number one, you will have fulfillment. You will have fulfillment. Because the greatest compensation that humanity can ever have is not finances, it's fulfillment. Are you hearing me, everybody? I know people that make way more than me, but they do not have the joy that I have. Why? Because joy will make a rich man jealous. Fulfillment is the greatest form of compensation that somebody can have. And I know a lot of people that do great work and make a whole lot of money, yet they're empty on the inside. If you are in the middle of the will of God and you are in purpose, you will have fulfillment. Somebody came up to me and my wife, and she came up to us recently. She goes, PDEV, I just noticed... It just looks like you and your wife are fulfilled. And I say, you are absolutely right. Me and my wife love what we're doing in the season that we're in with who we're doing it with. I'm madly in love with Jesus. I'm madly in love with my wife. I love my kids, and I know my purpose. And I wonder if there's anybody in here that would like to say something like that. Come on, does anybody want clarity like that? Well, purpose has fulfillment attached to it. Purpose also has fruit attached to it is there is literal social proof, there is physical evidence that you are in the middle of the will of God for your life. I'm telling you, when you get your purpose, everything changes. And I believe God wants to reveal that to you. Is that helpful, good teaching, everybody? So that's purpose. The second thing we need to be so, so clear on is we need to be clear on our priorities. We need to be clear on our priorities. Paul says, none of these things mean anything to me, but I might finish my race well, what's a part of your race? Your race needs, you need to be clear on your purpose. You need to be clear on your priorities because, listen, the greatest threat, hear me, the greatest threat to us accomplishing our purpose is being busy with things that have nothing to do with it. Is God gives you just enough time to do the right things, you cannot do everything. So you must be clear on the priorities that God has given you. And according to scripture, from my study, here's what I see. The first thing you must prioritize, Sergio, I need some keys. I need to be spiritual right now because these people aren't listening. The first thing you need to prioritize is, number one, your heart. Write it down in your notes. You need to prioritize your heart. Your heart. Because I'm being totally honest. Can I be honest? Okay, four people want me to be honest? I'll move on to the next point. That's fine. Hey, you guys are the ones missing it, not me. If I can be totally honest, most people don't live from purpose. They live from pain. Thank you, Tafari. I need to start taking you on the road with me. Tafari, you look like a youth pastor right now. You look so sharp, brother. You look handsome. You need to know, most people live from pain, not purpose. Is they are literally living their life bleeding, not thriving. Ugh. May it not be said of you. May it not be said of you. We need people to be in their purpose because when you're in your purpose, you are solving problems instead of causing them. I heard somebody say it like this. Love is our need. He goes, rejection is our fear, but bitterness is our tendency. Is you must take care of your heart. It is the greatest resource that God has given you. And to be honest, most people live a life of avoiding pain instead of advancing the kingdom. Take care of your heart. And here's what I was just saying to CLA this past week. Our Leadership Academy meets on Tuesday nights. You should be a part of it because it's a great way to take care of your heart, number one. But here's what I said. Is, is, is you need to put up gates, not walls. Here's what this means. Is a gate, 
intentionally keeps some things out, but it allows intentional things in. A wall lets nobody in. Let me talk to some of the men in the room right now. You need to let some people in your life because your blindness and your pain and your bitterness is destroying your family. It's destroying your family. I'm not just saying to the men, some of the ladies. Listen, you've allowed bitterness to lead your life instead of purpose. Take care of your heart. Take care of your heart. Because if you are bleeding, you are not thriving and you are not in purpose. The Bible says this, above all else, guard your heart. For the Bible says it is the wellspring of life. It is the wellspring of life. You must prioritize your heart. Here would be the second thing, and this is strong, is your health. Third John 2 literally says it like this. Brothers, I pray that you may prosper in body as you prosper in spirit. Listen to me. This is strong, but this is real. You need to prioritize your health because we must be people. If you're going to die, die naturally. Don't die out of negligence. Because if you, here's a, here's a bar. If you don't, there we go. Thank you. I need you right now. Turn, turn the keys up, please. Listen, you need to prioritize your health because why? If you don't make time for your wellness, you'll be forced to make time for your illness. You have a responsibility to take care of yourself. Your kids need you for the long haul. You could be pleasing your family but not serving your family if 20 years are cut off from your life because you're not taking care of your health. Stop being negligent about it. And I'm not just saying about your physical health. I'm saying your spiritual health, your emotional well-being. Take care of your health because you have a purpose and we need you here for as long as you possibly can because there are some problems that need to go when you go. So prioritize your heart, prioritize your health. Number three, prioritize your home. This is what the Bible teaches us. First, uh, First Timothy literally says it like this, is if you don't take care of your own household, you are worse than an unbeliever. Throw it up there, throw it up there, guys. Anyone who does not provide for relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Take care of your home, because listen to me, you can get another job, you cannot get another family. You cannot get another family. And so workaholics kill families way more than alcoholics do. So please prioritize your home. Make sure the schools aren't discipling your children. You are. Am I teaching good right now or what? So this is the biblical chronological order. And here would be the fourth one is your hands. Easy to remember. You know I love my list and alliterations. Is your hands. Is your hands. This is a metaphor for what has God put under your responsibility, stewardship, and management is there's literally the parable of the talents. Is God gives one talent, two talents, five talents. And God literally comes back, this manager literally comes back and says to the man of five talents who multiplied his talents and turned it into ten, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He turns to the man with two talents and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've turned it into four. And he comes to the man with one talent who buried his talent into the ground and he says, you wicked and lazy servant. Why? Because faithfulness, according to biblical precedence and according to biblical understanding, faithfulness is not just not quitting. Faithfulness is multiplying what God gave you. So God gives you gifts. It's your responsibility to turn them into strengths. You have a responsibility to multiply what God gave you. So you must be clear on your priorities, your heart, your health, your home, and your hands. Is that good, everybody? Number three, you must be clear on the greatest discipleship tool that God uses for anybody. Pain. 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 Um. If you are unwilling to endure pain, you will not experience all that God has for you in your life. 
You won't be able to experience it. Saul was told, this is my chosen instrument. This is my holy vessel. This is the person that I'm going to use to do great things for the kingdom. But he literally says, God says to Ananias, talking about Saul, he literally says, I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. Pain is a part of purpose. And if you want to know what your purpose is, look at your pain. Does that make sense, everybody? If you want to know what your purpose is, I'm telling you, your purpose is attached to your pain. Is God can use your misery and turn it into ministry. Is the stuff that has hurt you, traumatized you, burdened you, stuff that has been overbearing in your life, I'm telling you, make the devil pay because you have didn't you weren't broken by your pain. You learned from your pain, and now you're going to use your pain as a platform to minister to other people. I wish I had 15 people in here that just thank God that just because the devil used it for my harm, come on, God can turn it around for my good. God can use pain. One of my favorite preachers, Pastor Jensen Franklin, said it like this. He goes, if you are unwilling to endure hell's nightmare, you will never experience a God dream. Pain is a part of this process. You must be so, so clear about pain. Here's the fourth thing and the last thing, and I'm done, is you must be clear on prodigals. Prodigals. Here's what the text says. The text says that I must be willing to endure hardships. He goes, that I'm going to finish my course. And then he says, but I'm going to testify of the good news of the gospel of Christ. Who do we testify to? We testify to prodigals. These are people, here's how I've defined it. Prodigals are people that are far from God or far from home. Is prodigals are people that need a family and they need the father. Friend, can I tell you, it is not the responsibility of a pastor. It is the responsibility of a Christian to reach all the people that is in your sphere of influence. And we have the greatest opportunity in the next couple weeks of our Easter celebration services. Can I tell you, as Pastor Chris Hodges said last week, 84% of people will say yes to coming to church if you just invite him. This is our responsibility as a church. Come on, will we partner together? Can we see the kingdom of God come in the Metro West community and all the surrounding areas? I believe Framingham, I believe TC, I believe Ashland, I believe more locations need to be launched. Why? Because we need to reach prodigals. We need to reach people that are far from God and, need, and they're close to us. That's what a prodigal is. So what do we testify about? What do we testify about? We testify about God's goodness. Come on, has God been good to you? No, let me say it again. Has God been good to you? Come on, God's been good to me. We testify about God's goodness. As I was once this way, but now I'm a different way. I was once broken, and now I'm healed. I was once lost, and now I found my purpose. God has been good to me. God has been good to you. We testify about his goodness. We also testify about his greatness. Why? Because I just have this belief, as it says in Scripture, with God, all things are possible. He is the person that split the Red Seas. He's the person that took down Jericho walls. He's the person that resurrects the dead, heals blind eyes, opens deaf ears. Our God can do anything, no matter what he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it. We testify about his greatness. We need to understand who we are talking about. We're talking about the creator of the universe. We're talking about the king of the cosmos. We're talking about the man, the, the God who has put the skies and the stars in the universe and he has knit the details of your everyday life. We need to testify about his goodness, his greatness, and his grace. Come on, is anybody thankful for the grace of God? I am what I am, but by the grace of God. 
I shouldn't be where I am today. I shouldn't be on a stage. I shouldn't be a pastor. Do you know some of the stupid things that I did? Praise God. Somebody said, yes, don't I rebuke that person in Jesus name. <laughs> we revoke your church membership right now. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, it's probably my sister. I revoke her church membership right now. <laughs> kidding, Morgan. Kidding, kidding. <laughs> um, we testify about his goodness, his greatness, and his grace. And can I remind many of us is one day you will answer to two judgment seats. The first would be the great white throne judgment where you are walking into eternity. And a simple question will be asked is, what did you do with my son Jesus? Did you receive him or did you reject him? But if you're a believer and you have said yes to Jesus, I am following the way, the truth, and the life, and you said yes to him, well, the second judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ. Romans chapter 14, verse 10 says it like this. Can you guys throw it up there, guys? Romans chapter 10, verse 14 literally says that we will give an account to God for our lives. You guys have it up there? I'll wait. We will will literally have an account. We will give an account for our lives to God. And he will ask us, what did you do with my son? Okay, and what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? So literally, we will stand before God and we will have one of two things happen to us. We will either live with regrets or we will live with rewards. What kind of life do you want to live? Will you live a life trying to please everybody else and neglecting God? Or will you live for an audience of one? Let me tell you a story and I'll close. Worship team, come on out here. My dad was telling me the story about a violinist. So he plays, it was beautiful. What an incredible melody. He killed it. He has thousands of people watching him. And everybody at the end and the conclusion of his performance, they all stand to their feet and they are cheering and the crowd is going wild. This man walks off of stage and he has tears bursting through his eyes. And a man backstage comes up to him and he says, why are you crying? These people are all cheering for you. These people are all going wild for you. You killed it. You did a great job. And he goes, not everybody. And the guy goes, what do you mean? Literally everybody is standing. And he he says, no, look at the front row. Everybody was standing, thousands of people except one person. One person was sitting. And he goes, you see that man sitting? That man is my professor. He trained me to do what I'm doing. He trained me, and he's still sitting. Everybody's standing, but he's still sitting. I don't care about what everybody else says and what everybody else does. But if he's sitting, it affects me far greater. Because we don't live for the applause of humanity. We live for the audience of one. And can I remind all the people in this room, one day you will give an account to God for your life. And will you live with regrets or will you live with rewards? I pray that you be able to say before God one day, the same thing that Paul said later in his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, is I fought the good fight. I finished my race and I've kept the faith. May it be said of you, like Paul said it, as I want to be clear of my purpose and become obsessed with it. Amen, everybody. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray right now that there would be a divine moment that all my brothers and sisters under the sound of my voice would be so clear God that they are not here by accident they are here on assignment I feel the spirit of God in this room they are not here by accident they are here on assignment and I'm reminded that so many of us are going to be going to the judgment seat of Christ one day and we will give an account for our lives and I pray you would use a little message like this a word like this to spark something in them that we would not be successful in something that God never called us to. But we would be so focused, so clear, not deceived, not distracted, but we would be focused 
on the assignment that God gave us. So, Father, I pray for a supernatural clarity to come over my brothers and sisters, just like you did in the first service, where I got text messages saying, I feel like I found my purpose now. Come on, I speak that over you right now prophetically. I found my purpose. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm not going to do in Jesus' name. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity today to say yes to Jesus. And no matter where you find yourself in this faith journey, whether you have going your own direction and living life for yourself, living life for the pleasures of man instead of the purposes of God, I pray right now the Spirit of God will work on the inside of your heart, do some soul surgery today, and say, come home to me. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up boldly in between me, you, and God. It's time to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to his purpose, to have a Damascus-like experience where God reveals his person, he reveals his plans, and then he reveals your purpose. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up boldly and say, I need to say yes to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, and make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. One, if that's you, Jesus loves you, he died for you. Two, today is your day for salvation. Don't you dare wait another minute. Tomorrow is not promised. If that's you, would you shoot your hand up on three right now? Three, would you shoot your hand up and say, yes, I need to say yes to him. I need clarity for my life. Hands all over the room. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so proud of you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, young man. Thank you, thank you so much. We are so proud of you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, young lady. I'm so proud of you. Praise God. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Everybody stand to your feet. We're going to worship together. Repeat this prayer after me. Don't be distracted to your left or to your right. Say, Jesus. Come on, say, Jesus. I need you. I love you. I want you. I receive you. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. I receive your mercy. Father, I want clarity for my life. I need purpose. I need to know why I'm here. So I receive this assignment for my life. I'm going to give you my yes, and I'm going to give you my best, because you gave me your best. So Jesus, help me, guide me, in Jesus' name. And come on, everybody said.